Good morning. But anyway, we are excited about this 31-week series. And so you're here for week one. And uh, if you like it, bring a friend. If you don't like it, bring a friend. And so anyway, uh, yeah, so what we're trying to do is tell God's big story, the upper story we call it. And in telling the upper story, you'll find that your story, what we call the lower story, finds connection points along the way. So as you discover about God, you're also going to discover about yourself as we tell the greatest story ever told. And so as we begin this series, I want you to know a couple of things. Uh, There is a uh, story Bible. This is the cover of it. But uh, we have this story Bible that you can pick up for five bucks. Or if you don't have the cash, just take one. And if you open up to the chapter one, it's nothing but the Bible, but not all the Bibles in here. It's written chronologically. You start out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you turn back here into the numbers of the 400s in Revelation, where we have John saying, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. So if you like reading stories, those two statements beg the question, What on earth happened? And so for the next 31 weeks, we're going to be answering that question. Now, there's some helps that you want to know about. First of all, the BibleProject.com, free videos. You can find them on YouTube as well. Uh, Give you great overviews of every book of the Bible. Big themes are examined. Special words are examined that are in the Bible that you might not understand what they mean. Another help on YouTube, the, if you search in your window on YouTube, the Story Bible, you can have the audio version read to you. So I use that sometimes uh, as I re- uh, get ready for my uh, rest at night. And then there's also the Story app. It's a little hard to find. I can go over the details about having to find that. But anyway, one thing about this series that you're going to discover is there is loads of materials to help us understand what we're reading and what we're talking about. So if you've always wondered what this Bible is about, if you've had questions about the big picture, if you're trying to put things together, this is a great place to go to and begin. Now, uh, oh, by the way, I want to mention this too. There's a small group meeting right now, and there's a small group that just finished meeting doing the Story Bible small group. And so you could come here at 9.15, and you could go to the story group in the first hour and then come to worship in the second hour or you could come to worship in the first hour and go to story group in the second hour whatever you choose there's child care available obviously then tonight at 4 15 my group and another group we're combining to, to, to see anyone who doesn't know where to go you can show up we're going to be in grace cafe having a common meal and doing the first chapter of the story group together so if you don't know where to start You can show up to us. We have other groups that meet on Friday night, Sunday afternoon. Different groups are meeting. And so finding a place in a group is a great way to get your questions aired, to hear what other people's uh, discoveries have been in this process. So we really want you to take advantage of this opportunity. It's a major investment we've made as a church. And obviously, if you're investing the time here, uh, there's a reason for that. And we hope it is to discover uh, God's story and your story in it. Now... 
Before we begin with creation, which is the obvious topic of the day when we talk about the first chapter in the Bible, I want to ask this question. What was God doing before creation? (laughs) Thinking. (laughs) Sketching, right? No, Jesus gives us the answer. So God put on flesh and bone, walked on earth. We call his name Jesus, and here's what he says. You loved me before the foundation of the world. So here's the thing that we want to understand. That this triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, exists in a community himself. And it's a community based upon love. And so the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father through the Spirit. And that's what existed before we existed, before the universe existed. So here's what I'm trying to say. The universe that we live in was created out of love. Out of planning, out of creation that is based in love. And so, before anything else, God was loving the Son. The Son was loving the Father through the Spirit. So, creation is an extension of God's love. And why did He create this? Well, He did it for us. How blessed are we that God, the ultimate artist, not only created us in his image, but bestowed upon us the privilege of ruling over the creatures. Every day we live within the masterpiece of the world he painted. Breathtaking sunsets, vast seas, wondrous skies, and the beauty of new life. This is so far beyond what any of us deserve Yet God's love for us is so great that he used his paintbrush to create splendor far beyond words could ever convey. And he did it for us. This environment that we live in declares his glory, but it's a space for us to inhabit so we can have fellowship with him. He did this for us. And God wanted a space where we could have this fellowship, this uniqueness of community within us, uh, around us. So he has this, this is what you have to understand, there is this supreme passion God has for each one of us. I, there's, there's this problem that a lot of us wrestle with throughout our life at some point, and we don't understand how special and unique we are. And I don't mean special in a bad way. Are you special? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Every single human has divine significance because we're all created in the image of God. He created this universe to declare his glory and for us to be together. This is a picture uh, of from the Hubble telescope. There's many pictures from the Hubble telescope but back in 1996 they aimed the Hubble telescope just to the right of the Big Dipper and they turned the lens open and took a picture for nine days. You know what they discovered? Thousands more galaxies existed that they didn't know existed back in 2004 they did it again they aimed it at Orion, uh, uh, the constellation orion they turned the camera lens open for for 11 days you know what they discovered thousands of more galaxies our universe the cosmos is vast to where we don't even know the end of it and and here's the here's the unique uniqueness about this statement They've only found one earth. 
We're the only planet that's designed to be an observation station to the heavens. Not only did he create this earth for us, he created all those universes for us. You and I are so loved by God that he sat down and said, I'm going to keep making more universes so they can see how unique they are and how, how great I am because he's the one who deserves praise. So, the heavens declare his glory and our uniqueness. In the beginning, God, Francis Schaeffer said the four most important words for everybody to grasp, grapple with are those. In the beginning, God, if you can get this, the rest is a piece of cake. All right? These words challenge everybody because we're saying that the universe has a start. So the main character of the first chapter in the Bible is God. It's about God. And so a lot of times people read the first two chapters of the Bible and they get stuck about creation. So I just want to pause here and just say that the first two chapters of Genesis is not a scientific treatise on the creation, how it happened. There's things that we can understand about creation from those, but it's not written for that. So some people, uh, they look at creation as taking place in, uh, in, in, in these six days, right? And uh, taking place uh, in just 24-hour periods and God creates it all. And it's, it's, a, it's an old earth created in an instant. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense to me going to the mall and seeing teenagers walk into stores and buy jeans that have holes in them and are wore out. They're brand new jeans. They look old. If they want old holy jeans, they can talk to my wife. i got plenty of them, right? So anyway, uh, God could have done it that way. Or maybe, maybe God, there is a big gap between Genesis 1 and, 1 and, and, the, and the rest of that verse. And they're eons, and they're, God used theistic evolution. I don't know. I wasn't there. And here's what I do know. It's about God and the pinnacle of his creation, us. So the first audience that heard this were Israelites who just walked, when I say heard this, heard the book of Genesis, uh, were Israelites who just walked out of slavery. And they're hearing that, they are not really created by demigods called Ra, the god of sun, or any of these other gods that they worshipped in Egypt. They were actually created by God, and that they were the pinnacle creation, not servants to the demigods. And so, so it's really important that we understand that every book of the Bible has context. And the main, main point you need to embrace by this is that God is the source of creation. It starts with a big bang, but it's not an accident. It's all planned. And once you understand or make the conclusion that God created it, things begin to fall in place. And so Genesis 1 and 2 have less to do with science and more to do about God. And so in the beginning, God created these spaces, right? You know, to, to, to put things in. So he creates the space and the place to put stuff, and then he puts the stuff in it. So this is how creation is laid out. And, and so here's what I'm trying to say. Nothing God does is an accident. It's all planned when it comes to creation. It's all by design. 
And the more we study creation, the more we study the universe, the more we understand the complexity and that there has to be a designer. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It takes far more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God because you have to say, well, this is all an accident. It's like taking a hand grenade and walking into a junkyard and throwing it over into a pile of cars and boom, a 747 jet pops up. I, we would say that's ridiculous. Well, that's... If you don't believe in a divine designer and intelligence in all of this, then you're, that's, that's how you're thinking about things. Life is just an accident. I don't think that at all. And so every beautiful place we see is God designing nature. We see the Grand Canyon or the rocky coast of Maine or we see some beautiful lakeside or we're up on a mountaintop or we're, we're looking at a field of, uh, of, of grass. or what, we, we're, we're going, man, that is just beautiful. That is just beautiful. And so God saw all that he created and he says, it's good. And what do you say when you look at creation, a sunrise or a sunset or sitting by the lake? You're like, man, that is beautiful. And God's like, I know. <gasps> right? You create beautiful things, right? Some of you cook well, you plant well, you build well, you teach well. You know, and like you get done, you're like, man, I really worked hard on that. And it was pretty good, right? And so, so we take joy in creation. God takes immense joy in his creation. And we're part of that. So the first takeaway is this, that everything God creates is good. Always. Think about it. Always. Everything he creates. Is good. Every beautiful place, every gorgeous sunset, every place. And you know what? The pinnacle of his creation, the very top, the quintessential moment is his creation of us. It's so important you understand that we are the pinnacle of creation. Some of you don't love yourselves very much and you see yourselves as an accident, a mistake, or a pain in somebody's side, but that's not true. You're the pinnacle. Of creation. And he takes joy, the most joy, in creating us. God's true passion is you and me. I bet there's somebody here today who really needs to hear that. You and me. So, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. All beauties of creation are secondary to you. I know some of you love your dogs. I love my dog, but he's not as good as me, right? I wish I could be the man my dog, my dog thinks I am, but I'm not going to make it. But anyway, humans were given the ability to manage creation and commune with God. And that's just really cool. We have dominion over this earth. We're to be good stewards of it. And then we can also have a relationship with the creator. And animals don't have that. And so you might ask the question, why would God run the risk of creating someone in his likeness of giving them free will? Why do parents have children? They love each other. They want to have a child in their likeness. So you know what they do? They take a room in their house. Or maybe they have to get a new house. And they paint it a certain color that I couldn't name. And they buy these fancy things. My daughter has a disposal for dirty diapers. It sucks them in there and bounds them up so you can't smell it until you take the whole bag out, load it up with two weeks of that and you're like what i mean you got an enemy 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, and then they, they the thing I like the most is the diaper wiper warmer. I mean the wiper the the wipes things you know the softy wipey things and it plugs in and they're warm on her tush right. And I was like, where is this for adults, right? <laughs> this is wonderful. By rocking chairs, by all the little things, the letter on the wall, that's the first letter. You know, what are they doing? They're creating a space for the person that they love that they're bringing into the world. Isn't that cool? Man, God has set this up for us. Enjoy it. Don't walk around, woe is me, man. It is glorious in this world. Celebrate. Life, it's good. God loves you more than you will be ever able to understand. You cannot fathom His love. And so you and I need to understand that God longed for a perfect environment with us. God saw all that He made, and it was very good. And He says very good after He makes humans. Now, Why did God create man before woman? Well, yes, a female theologian that. She'll say God made man and said, I can do better than that. You ask a male theologian, why didn't God create woman first? It's because God didn't want somebody telling him how to do it, right? <laughs> so. That was, that wouldn't, yeah, I know. I'm here all night. Let's put a dollar on the table. All right, so anyway, uh, we, God, first time we find something that wasn't good was when man is alone. And so we read this verse, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Ezer is the word used there in its original language. And so the word Ezer means one who is not just a suitable helper, but one who is meeting the needs of that one who needs it. So Ezer is used first, talking about woman being a suitable helper for man. It's used 19 more times in the Old Testament, the word Ezer, suitable helper. And the other 19 more times refers to God as a suitable helper for man. It's just really cool when you think about it. I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm not saying that woman is God over man. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that this idea that somehow women are less than men is not come from the Bible, does not come from God. That comes from false teaching from somewhere. I don't know where. But anyway, the one who helps. So we could translate Genesis 2:18 this way. I will make a power or strength corresponding to what man is lacking. That could be a way you could translate this easily enough. By taking the literal definition of the world, word. So a rabbinical study of the Torah shows this illustrated by the man has arching arms up like this. And they're touching hands with the arching arms of the woman. They're touching at the top. Suitable. Together. God designed men and women different, and it's a good thing, because we all need help, and, 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 and coming together brings the help that we all need. 
And so God creates this beautiful picture from the very beginning. And it's perfect. But one choice, one sin corrupts all of it. Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge. And as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. Sin corrupts everything good. Now, some of you don't need to know this because you've already experienced it like I have. When I decide to define evil on my own, and when I decide decide define define good on my own, I always bring hardship into my life. If I if I could just follow the Bible on its definition of what is good and what is evil, I would be a whole lot better off. And we understand that sin is a choice to disregard God's instruction of what is good and evil. It's a rebellion to God's uh, instruction to mankind. And so God had planned Adam and Eve to live in a perfect place, but he gave them a choice. Sometimes people say, why did God give them a choice? Why did God allow evil? Well, there is another way. We could be puppets on a string, and God could move us exactly where he wants to move and do exactly what he wants to do all day long. We could be like robots. And you wouldn't have a choice in anything that doesn't sound like much of a life, right? And so, rather than force mankind to be in a relationship with him, he gave them a choice. And so, we can't force someone to love us. And sometimes it's difficult to work through, isn't it? And God won't force us to love. It's a choice. And so, God planted two trees in the garden, and that was the choice. A choice of eternal life or a choice to know good and evil. And as they put that as God put that choice in front of them, they chose to disregard God's instruction. They stopped trusting God. And so, the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And that tree has lived up to its name. The genie's out of the bottle, Pandora's box is open, and every time we watch the news, we wish that we didn't hear that story. A story about sex trafficking or child abuse or murder or some genocide. And we're like, 
is there any day that I could turn on the news and just be encouraged? Nope. Not until there's a new heavens and a new earth. And so, sometimes people want to place the blame on God. Even when there's storms, it's an act of God. No, there were no storms until creation fell. It's a consequence of a sinful choice of humankind. And so the greatest loss, though, is not a storm and a knockdown barn. The greatest loss is that intimate relationship that mankind had with God. That's the greatest loss. So we are introduced to this antagonist, the serpent, or the devil, Satan, right? And so, uh, just one other point here I failed to mention, sin breaks the relationship with God and each other and our creation. Relationships that we once had with animals are lost. Relationships we once had with plants are lost. You look by the sweat of your brow, you'll work hard, you'll suffer this. Animals will sometimes eat you. All of this has changed because of one choice. The serpent, we find out in Genesis 3.1, was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God had made. And he says, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? Here's something that you need to understand right off the bat. The first temple in the Bible was the Garden of Eden. A place where God's presence was and man's presence was mingling together in the same space. Alright? So Eden was a resting place for part of God's heaven on earth. And so the Elohim is a technical word for divine beings. Angels, God, all of that is in the category of Elohim. And so the Elohim was, had uh, Rome in this place on earth. So we might say, well, it's crazy that man would listen to a talking snake. Well, the word is nakish, which essentially means shining one. And it can refer to a serpent, but not always. And so the point I'm trying to make is for a divine being to walk up to them and begin to convince them that God is not telling them the truth is not not out of the world at all. I mean, it's very possible that they were deceived by a godlike looking being. One that, well, was beautiful. And so we, we won't talk about that all right now, but Adam and Eve didn't trust God and they were deceived. And so here's, here's what we want to understand. Satan tactics. He got them to question God's word. Did God really say he got them to deny God's word. Surely you will not die. And then he reverses God's word. Or the consequences is going to un unfold on that. Your eyes will be opened. But they went and hid. That's how he deceived them. And that's how he's trying to deceive us. And his game hasn't changed. Did God really say? Love your neighbor. As yourself. Did God really say? Forgive your enemies. Did God really say? And so you and I are have an adversary. And as soon as you start to believe in God, you better look out. Because there's one who has started the rebellion that wants you to be eternally separated from.
from God. He wants to destroy you. And so you and I were created to have fellowship with God and bring Him glory. But when we choose not to trust God, we fall into this very chaotic thing we call the fall. And it's our sin problem. And billions of people have been fooled. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Where was Adam? Right beside Eve. She was deceived. He openly rebelled. I want to say something to every father, grandfather. Are you standing idly by or are you proactive in protecting the people who've been put into your charge? I know parents that think that the grades on the report card and the performance on the field is more important than their attending church and learning about their relationship with God. They tell me the thing all the time. I, we, we got this going on. I'm like, <laughs> you don't get it. The biggest concern of your life is the spiritual condition of your child. I want to say something to every leader, every single parent, every coach, every boss, every teacher. If you're in a position of responsibility, guard those put under your charge. If you've got three people in a work team on the floor at the plant, be a leader that is looking for uh, protecting people. And so, so here's the thing about Adam. I get so frustrated, but I see it in my own life. To stand idly by and let evil enter into the world of the people that we care about. And so, this next verse presents a cycle that will unfold for the rest of time on this earth. Their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's what I'm talking about. Every time we make a choice not to trust God and redefine what's evil and good, we're going to bring shame and guilt, and remorse, and sadness, and evil into our lives and the lives of those closest to us. You cannot escape it. The first chapter you have to understand in the story is that God created it perfect, and sin brought destruction. And so here we are in this first chapter, or first chapter of the story, but actually second chapter and third chapter of Genesis, we're in this part where, where we see that there's a human crisis. Right away, the antagonist shows up. Right away, there's a crisis, and there's a need for divine rescue. And so, I like what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of who you are into something a little bit different from what it was before. With all your innumerable choices, you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature either into a person that is in harmony with God and with others, or else into one that is in a state of war with God and with others. To be the one kind of creature is joy and peace. To be the other is 
means madness, rage, and eternal loneliness. Each of us is at a moment in progressing to one state or the other. Every choice, every significant choice that you make, you're choosing to become more like Jesus or less like Jesus, our model. And our choices make a difference. What we say makes a difference. What we do, what we make, what we prioritize makes a difference. Every decision matters. We often think our personal choices won't impact others. Nothing could be further from the truth. This next dramatization illustrates what I'm talking about. The serpent. Snake. Was the savviest of all of the creatures in the creator's perfect planet. The reptile surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman, from her blind side. Preserving the element of surprise. And he said, Hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the Creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good, how do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo. The tree of the knowing, the good evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free. Every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Ah. Said the snake, faking genuine concern the deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn with just one bite you'll be just like him eyes wide open knowing the heights of what humans can do knowing the depths the despicable too god would have no tactical advantage over you you and your man could have the run of the place total control over the food you eat the life you live the path you choose with just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise open eyes she said 
What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down and the universe was silent. It was the cool part of the day, and God was walking, walking through the land he made. His ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kissed the innocence. Son, Eve, girl, what have you done? The ground, it's broken now. Under a curse, from bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work will be harder. Grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands. Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head. You will strike and bite his heel. You will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for eons. He looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. And the serpent, he just smiled. It's broken now. Some of you already know that, right? Relationships broken. Your health is broken. We live in a broken world. And we know all too well that the choices that we make either turn us more into a Jesus or turn us into some hellish creature. We might say, hey, you know what? They only had two commands. Don't eat the tree, tend the garden. They only had two commands. Why couldn't they get that right? Well, Jesus, 
gave everyone who wanted to follow him two commands. Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, with, with, and love your neighbor as yourself. Just two commands. Love God with everything you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. How you doing? How's that working? Fact of the matter is, we don't love God with all ourselves all the time. Sometimes we don't love our neighbor, and many times the person we love the least is ourselves. So here we are, all broken by sin. It's mankind's problem. All of us have failed at some point, and every every single human soul needs a divine rescue, and God's the only one that can bring it. All humanity begins to spiral out of control after this story, the story of Adam that begins in chapter 2, and 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 uh, their descendants, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel after church and because his sacrifice wasn't accepted by God. And he gets mad and jealous about that. And so uh, there's this promise, though, that is given, right, to them in that moment. Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you, meaning Adam and Eve and Satan, and between her offspring and hers. Uh, he will crush your head. You will strike. This is all pointing to Jesus. That one will come from the seed of a woman who will bring redemption. And so, right there, we call that the proto-evangelium, the first telling of the gospel, the first telling of hope that's going to come. And so, even though we fail, God wants us back. And He's got a plan to do that. In Genesis 6, the world begins this chaotic spiral. The whole earth begins to seek Every inclination of their heart and thoughts were all evil and the earth becomes corrupt. And so God in his mercy brings a flood to put a stop to the horrible things that people were doing to themselves and to others. God's pattern of love is going to work right through that flood. And he's going to bring out of this chaos, this destruction, help. So he finds this man, Noah, who's righteous and blameless among the people. And this is one of the very few times in the Bible that God will choose the most likely person to help mankind, to work in his plan. See, Noah's righteous and blameless. And, and this is the most likely person, right? I'm going to choose the best candidate I possibly can. And he does build the ark. And he does put the animals on there. And he does save humanity from worldwide extinction. But there's a problem. He plants another garden. And the fruit in that garden bring the chaos right back in. Noah was a man of the soil, planted a vineyard. He drank some of its wine. He became drunk. Lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside. We don't know what happened. Some sexual sin of some type took place. Don't know what it was. Here's what I know. There's another garden. There's another fruit. And there's another fall. 
And this was the best candidate earth had to offer. Now here's what you got to get. Restoring mankind's broken relationship with God will not come through us, but through himself. I got a revelation for some of you. You can't fix yourself. Husbands, you can't fix your wives. Wives, you cannot fix your husbands. Parents, you can't fix your kids. Government cannot fix a broken society. But I do know who can. God can. He created it all. He wrote the manual. He knows how to work with us. For God so loved the world, this broken world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.